to be a part of. Would you speak through Cyril this morning, and would you unplug our ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're in junior high, grades 6, 7, or 8, you can head to the youth room. And before you take your seats, so quick to take your seats, take a minute, greet those around you, shake a hand, throw a high five. Good morning. We uh, have a few announcements just before I begin to open the word. The first is that if you are a young adult, if you uh, are around after the service, we're having a lunch, a free lunch. So please uh, feel free to make your way through those doors and we'll go into the back into the youth room there and there's going to be a lunch for the young adults to be able to fellowship together and get to know each other. So that is following directly after this service. Also, I would like to welcome our uh, guest we have amongst us, uh, Bradley Morris, who is coming from the Muskrat Dam Band Council to be with us today because we're going to have a chili fundraiser for the team that's going up to Muskrat Dam in January. So thanks for joining us. We're looking forward to hearing you share tonight, and I uh, just want to invite everyone out tonight. It's going to be chilly, so it's going to be great food, and uh, the team that Andy's leading, there's about five that are going over up there in January, so we want to bless them um, with that, so please join us tonight. For two months, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and we've been following, uh, as we've been listening, and at the same time visioning as a church, how God is building a church without walls. We began in chapter 1, and we saw that God is a, a no-walls God, that his vision was for all things to be placed under Jesus so that he could bless and recreate and reestablish everything. And then we moved on into chapter, the end of chapter 1, and we, we saw that God is calling us to be a praying church. That it is through prayer that God is establishing his church. And then in Ephesians 2, we saw that this is the church that is being built by God. It is he who's building. He is destroying the walls that divide humanity. He is designing a new humanity, and he himself is building up the church to be his representatives. And then we saw that the church that God is building is something that's beyond imagination, that we actually cannot imagine what our God is capable of. And that his love is so deep and strong that he's establishing this church in order to bless the entire world. And then we had Shogo join us. And he spoke on what it means to be people of God as he's building his church to be maturing in Christ. What does it mean to actually mature and become grown and solid in who God is? We talked about what living in a church, what does a living church look like? What does our, our lives, how do they change when we met Jesus? And then last week, we talked about family church. What does it look like as God builds this church in order for us to make sure that we submit to one another as family? It's a hard thing to do, but we also recognize that is how God is going to make us a church that are able to submit to him. And so today, we enter our last sermon of the series, and we are going to speak about what it means to be protecting the church. 
As God is building a, a church without walls, we, we hear it and we're like, oh, that's a great vision. It's exciting that God would remove the barriers between different groups of people. He would make it so that whether, whatever, wherever we come from, that he's wanting to bring all things into himself, to reconcile all things. But then you start to think about a church without walls. And I'm sure some of you have thought, so one thing I'm, I'm worried about, walls have a purpose. Walls protect. They protect us from the cold, from the elements. They protect us from enemies, from thieves, or just people who might do harm to us. And actually, when you start to look at the Bible, sometimes walls are looked at quite positively. The book of Nehemiah is, is a great example of leadership uh, through, through God's people. And the entire project is that the people of God are coming together to rebuild walls to surround Jerusalem, to protect them. Walls make a lot of sense, don't they? They're meant to keep the bad guys out. So why should the church not build a wall? Yeah, we know it separates people, but, but is, there, is there a good side? You think about the Great Wall of China. The longest building on our planet. 6,350 kilometers. This was built to protect the Chinese people from roaming nomadic invaders who'd come in and raid and steal and take and hurt. Walls seem to be necessary sometimes, don't they? So if you look around at our culture, well, I don't know about you, but sometimes it does feel like the church is under attack. There's definitely sometimes people who would, who would love to tear down the church. Speak, they, they maybe see us as harmful, hurtful, and so our question is, if we're going to protect the church, what does this look like without walls? How does God protect his beloved people? I believe that when we read Ephesians 6, you start to realize that instead of building walls to try and protect the church, we need to learn to, to live a way of life that's characterized by, by certain values and by prayer especially. And that is how God will establish and protect his people. Protecting the church without walls. We begin in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. God's power is the, this key term that we're supposed to remain strong in him somehow. And the way that we do that isn't by building up these walls. It's actually by putting on very particular and important characteristics. 
Notice what the call is here. It's, it's to stand. To stand strong. That when, the, when this, the winds of the times come railing against us, we stand against the devil's schemes. Did you know that the church has an opponent? That there is a conscious intelligence that is actively fighting against the church. It says it's, it's, it's not flesh and blood, so building up walls isn't going to work. There's a, a non-flesh and blood reality affecting us here and now. And this unseen reality has, has many different names, and I, I don't want to go too far into it, but we'll just walk through it a little bit to, to see what there's, what's being spoken of. The first is the rulers. The term might be archon in the Greek. In fact, there's a, a number of different uh, groups that would look into this idea of the archons and, and, and wonder, uh, what does this mean? What, who are these, these rulers? We see it in Matthew 9.34. The Pharisee says it's by the prince of the demons that he drives out demons. It is by the archon daimonion. There's like this, some type of powerful ruler of darkness. Again, in Matthew 9.34, sorry, in 12.24, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, this fellow drives out demons. They're thinking about this, this archon. There's also the authorities, the, the ecclesia. They seem to be powerful forces that are, are ruling from the air. It says this in Ephesians 2, 2, which we read earlier in the, in the year. In which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world and of its archon ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedience. There's this ruler of the airwaves, I like to say. Then there's the world powers. The, I love that the, actually the Greek term sounds really awesome. Cosmokrator. Don't want to mess with the cosmokrator. These, these world powers. And you're thinking, what does it mean world powers? There's some type of force over this world. Now, is it human? Well, we just heard it's not flesh and blood. But somehow, I believe that these spiritual entities are in charge of things and they're interacting with humans for sure, in some ways, in systems at least. And this is their spiritual forces, the pneumaticos in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms in, in Ephesians is a very interesting place. This is where Jesus is now. But it also says that that's where we're seated with him in the spirit, in the heavenly realms. Now you hear all this, and, and I imagine there's often like two major responses. C.S. Lewis talked about this, actually. There's two dangers. It's like, devil doesn't exist. I want to hear about this. Or there's like an obsession with the evil forces. You know, people are like, on the internet, start searching. Just go down the rabbit hole, the Illuminati. And the, you know, you just, just get so obsessed with the dark powers that you forget to stare and look at the light. I will say this, evil is real. But it doesn't mean that there's a, a demon behind every rock. And that's why sometimes, sometimes we over, oh, you, just hear, you hear some people just talk about demons as if the devil made me do it for everything. Well, actually, when you read the book of James, it's very clear that when we sin or when we do something that's wrong, it is not this uh, devil that made us do it. It actually says you're enticed by your own desires. There's something in us that wants to do these things. So we can't kind of 
get a get out of jail free card. Oh, the devil made me do that. It's no, you acted on your own evil. But then again, there's also some type of cultural force of evil at work. I don't know if you've seen it. If you look into it, you see the, the cultural forces. Yes, you might be tempted by, by your own lust when you see an image. But who's the one planning to put it at every single bus stop? Or you might see a poor person on the street and you recognize the evil that this has done to them. But, but who's controlling a system in which there's enough food to feed everyone in the world, yet people are dying of starvation? The First Nations people were here first. But the government of Canada, in collusion with churches, created a school system that ripped children from their families and refuses to honor its own treaties. Why have we treated a people so inhumanely? Maybe there's some inhumane forces continuing to keep all these systems in place. There's a God, and I believe that, but the entire cultural system keeps indoctrinating us either to not believe there's a God or to not believe that, that really matters at all. Is this an accident? The Bible says no. It's the plan. So how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our loved ones? How do we protect the people of God in the midst of this? Do we run away from the world? Escape it? No, Jesus actually prayed. He said, I don't ask for you to take them out of the world. Okay, so do we build up our walls around ourselves, have our little enclaves, have our little secret groups? No, Jesus sent us into the world because he loves the world and he wants to love the world through us. So how do we protect the church in the midst of this? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may, not, or you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth placed about your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the arrows, the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want you to notice that we've heard this in the last verse to stand, and now three more times the primary verb here is stand. After all of this attacks, stand. This is about a resistant, resistance movement to the devil, to the, to the evil forces at bay. There, there's dark forces that are attacking us as a culture, as a people. Now, I, I want to point out something. I get worried sometimes that sometimes people flip this into kind of like a take that devil kind of thing. 
You ever heard that? Like, oh, we're praying like, God, you take down the devil. We're going we're gonna to give him a beat down today here. Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of like almost over exuberant, like as if we have some power that can hurt the devil. Meanwhile, we read in other places in the scriptures, even the archangel Michael, it says, says, the Lord rebuke you. Even Michael doesn't talk to the devil that way. So we be very careful when we talk about these spiritual things, not to kind of overplay our cards. What we're supposed to do is stand, resist. The attack is coming. Are you prepared? Will you guard your family? People can be too flippant about these spiritual things. I, I'll throw myself included in that. Um, a while back when I first became a pastor and was newly married, um, a friend of mine was making a movie. And I remember I was excited, okay, I'm going to go out. My wife was actually doing some photos during the movie shoot and everything. And, and so I came out to be an extra. And I remember the guy, the director was talking, he was like, oh, and then there's going to be this part where the demons start chasing after people and they eat them and stuff. And I was like, oh, me, me, I want to get chased by demons. And Megan looked at me and was like, don't say that. And I was like, oh, whatever. It'd be fun to get chased by demons. And she's just like, no, stop saying that. Anyways, I took the part. And I remember the scene. I'm running as fast as I can with a group of people. And then I tripped and I fell. And I smashed my patel into, rolled around. And my knee ended up becoming the size of like a watermelon. Now you might just say, oh, that's a coincidence. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to take talking about demons lightly anymore. <laughs> a spiritual battle requires spiritual tools. And so here we're hearing from, from Paul what he wants the church to have in their hands, to remember. And remember that this is like the last thing that he's saying, finally. Like this is the, the last, he's closing up the letter now. And he wants us to remember this, that we need these spiritual truths, that we need the truth around us like a belt to hold it all together. We live in a culture of lies where we expect people to lie, where we expect our government to lie to us, where we expect to lie to each other. What if we we're a people who are girded in truth. That we would push against the lies, that we'd protect our families from the lies, that, that we realize that, that the truth holds all things together. If we were a people of truth, we might be able to resist the attacks. It says that to put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. One thing I do know that the way we live our lives can protect us. If we live lives that are in line with the way we're instructed in the scriptures, that, that there'll be some protection there. But even more importantly, that the main protection we have is the righteousness of Christ. That we take on his righteousness. That we don't have to be good enough. That when all the attacks come about how you're not righteous, that we realize, I am not condemned. I am in Christ Jesus. By his grace, I am freed. And that will not defeat me. Stand strong in the truth of who you are in Jesus, forgiven and beloved. When you hear the attacks about who you are, oh, you're not good enough. 
You did this that time. God doesn't love you because of that. No, I stand strong, protected in the righteousness of Christ. Have your feet fitted with the, the readiness that comes from the, the gospel of peace. My peace shoes. Isn't it interesting? We talk about warfare and spiritual warfare and these type of things. And often what I think happens is we start to turn this into like the idea of a violence. Well, if that's happening over there, let's get our armies together. Let's go attack. Then really the thing that we're supposed to do is hold on to peace. To be ambassadors of peace. To bring peace into the violence. And that's how we will resist the attacks. And then we have the shield of faith, ready, ready to counter the arrows of the evil one. Holding on to that faith, knowing who you are in Christ. When the flurries start coming, no, no, I trust. Maybe you're trying to go into something and you felt like God called you into something and then and the arrows start hitting. It's easy to, to pull out. But do you have faith in what God wants of you? Are you ready to push through the fight, the onslaught, to stand firm through faith? And it talks about the, the helmet of salvation. This is a, to me, this is, a, this is this the protection to know that I am rescued, no matter what happens, not to let the lies enter into my mind, not to let all the confusion enter my mind, to be firm and understand that I am protected by Christ's salvation. That when the thoughts start coming in and creeping in, I am beloved of God, protected from the sin infection. And finally, it has this, this sword of the Spirit, which, by the way, is the, the first thing that you might even think is, is offensive. Everything else is a very defensive position. Stand. It's coming at you. Just stand. It's like a, a football line. Just block the attack. Let God take the ground. It's going to be hard enough for us just to stand against the attack, right? But we have this thing called the sword of the Spirit. And when the attacks come, the truth is there. I think about Christ when he was in the desert and, and the, the devil starts coming at him with these, these scriptures and he says, oh, no, but then this. And he uses the word to block the attack, to fight back. If we have the word in our heart, ready, when the attacks come, then we are truly able to be defending ourselves, our family, our church. Because the enemy's coming with attacks. Now, one thing I want to point out is that this isn't a one-and-done deal. Sometimes we think like, oh, I accepted Christ, so now I'm protected. Now, Paul's talking to people who love and believe in Jesus, and he's giving them instructions, take this up. You, didn't, you say, oh, I, I, had, I had the shield of faith. I picked it up when I came to Christ. Yeah, but have you left it on the couch all day? Because there's a lot of really great trained armies. But if they're not battle ready, they're just sitting around on the couch. When the enemy comes at night when they're not ready, they get taken out quick. 
That's why we train. That's why we prepared. That's why we're asked, I believe, to take this up daily, to make this a, a part of who we are. The armor of God is about a vigilance. You, you can't pretend everything's okay. This is something that daily we're going to have to do. And that's why I think sometimes in our, in our lives, we can kind of get lulled into, oh, things are going okay. Right? So just, you're in a place like, oh, all right, things are good. And then wham, you hit from a side angle you didn't even expect because you thought things were so good. They're good because you've been protected. A continual exercise. So let me put it out there. Spiritual warfare is real. I know it's easy to kind of laugh at. I know it's easy to kind of, sometimes like, this sounds, you think it's like, sounds like a fairy tale. What I think is really interesting is our culture talks a lot about the question, is there, is there an other intelligent life in the universe? And the scientists answer it. Someone like Stephen Hawking will come along and say, yeah, I, I think that there probably is alien life. And he actually worries that it might not be friendly towards us. The very people who make fun of Christians for believing in angels are peddling aliens. Is that interesting? If someone asked me, do you think there's other intelligent life in the universe? I would say, yeah, the Bible told us that thousands of years ago. And some of them are malevolent intelligences. They're not friendly. And what's really interesting is the Bible says, we don't have to go too far to find them. They're right here. Now, I can't, I can't see them. Or Sometimes God will open up eyes and, 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 you, and you actually are able to, oh, recognize, oh, there are other things at play here. There's dark forces and there's good forces. We've dedicated a child today. And I, just, I love when Jesus talks about, he talks about them having their angel. Oh, there's a protection there. As a parent, it just feels, Lord, protect my child. We don't know exactly how it works, but we know that it's real. And that's why when we pray, we can pray that there will be something that actually happens. We can pray for protection and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Prayer in the Spirit. It's been interesting as we've been going through this visioning process. One thing I think that's been coming clear to us as a leadership team is like prayer. Like, what happens if people thought of Forest View Church and they thought prayer, praying church? Oh, I believe God would protect us and bless us and use us. Notice it says, like, all kinds of prayers and requests. People pray in different ways, right? Some of us, myself, I'm not, I'm not the best. That, like, Luther said um, that he had to pray six hours a day because he was too busy. Like, he was so busy that he needed to pray six hours a day. And I was like, I always think that's weird. I, I, six hours on my knees. That's not probably my thing, but maybe a six-hour hike. Praying as I walked. That's something energizing about that. Maybe I should do that more. 
I know some people are taking the time in their cars to, to listen to the word, listen to prayer. Someone was telling me they drive in their car and they tap the little button and they start praying for someone. And it kind of, it's a, now we have audio where you can actually, it writes the prayers as a text. And then they send the prayer to the person that they just prayed for at the end of it. It's like, oh, that's really interesting. In all kinds of ways, pray. I like to pray with freestyle rap. Some of you might not, but that's, you know, how do you, how do you want to pray? How, how does God move in your heart to pray? Because he wants to talk with you. Prayer is just a, a conversation with him where you listen. Maybe, maybe we need to just pray by just sitting there and listening and, and soaking Pray with all these type of prayers. January 7th, we're going to start our week of prayer. We're going to start, kick it off by praying together, and we're going to have a week where we come together and we're praying. I just, I'm excited about the time to, to know that as a church, we're going to kick off our year, this, this important year of, of vision casting, with prayer. Ask God, protect Forest View. Guide Forest View. Allow us to be your people who are a people who always go to you in prayer. And so when he says, pray also for me, can I put up my hand and go, pray, pray also for me? I think it's been, it's actually two years to the day where we had our last service with my old church. It's like, whoa, that was, didn't know exactly where we are going. Hopes and dreams and thought we were being led by God. But myself, the, the leadership team, pray for the leadership team. It's not an easy thing to, to look for God's people and realize that our, our job is to, to protect and to guide and to lead. And we're, we're just people like everyone else. People who God has put in this position, but, but we recognize we need prayer. Please pray for the leadership team this year. And we will pray for you. The church in Ephesus was a, an amazing church. Paul was so excited. He planted, I mean, he, and he, was, he went there and he was working with this church and, and he helped establish the elders. He loved this church. The reason he ends with this passage is because he, in his back of his mind, he realizes like, they need to keep it up. It's been good so far, but it can go off. In fact, it turns out he was probably right, or he was right. Because when you turn to the book of Revelation, we know the apostle John ended up his time in Ephesus. But in the book of Revelation comes, God's writing letters to each of the churches. And in Revelation 2.4, he says this to the, to the church of Ephesus. Yet I hold this against you. All these great things that they've done, he's telling them, good job. But then he says this, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Oh, God loves Ephesus. Paul loves Ephesus, and Paul's saying, please pray. Please put on the armor of God. Please be ready for the, 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 the attacks. Put this stuff on so you are ready when the attacks come because we don't want you to lose your first love. And I pray for us as a church, we don't want to lose our first love. The reason God called Forest View into being. Lord God, would you protect us? We put on the armor now, how do you do this? I would say one of the things is, just ask God today, like, what piece, what piece of the armor maybe am I, am I weakest on? Where's, what's my Achilles heel? Is it, is it my faith? Is it righteousness? Is it peace? Like, where is it that God's calling me 
to armor up. Prayer. When I first met my wife Megan, one of the things that really hit me was like her prayer. I remember the first time we prayed together and she prayed the armor of God over me. It's like, whoa, I'd never kind of experienced that before. And it was a, a blessing and she would do it often. And, um, and I'm just going to ask, I, I want to pray that prayer. I want to pray the armor of God over us as a church now. God would protect us. So if you could close your eyes with me, we'll pray. Lord, would you place upon us the armor of God? Would you cover us with a, a protection, Lord God? I ask that you would Allow us to be girded with the belt of truth in a world of lies. It's hard to know what's true and what's not, Lord God, but your word is true. Your spirit is true. May we be truthful to one another, even when it's hard. Would we speak truth, Lord God, even when it's difficult, so people would look at us as the people of integrity, so that when the attacks come, we are ready because we are girded in truth. I pray, Lord God, for the, for the blessed plate of righteousness, Lord God, that we would live lives that would not make it easy for the evil one to attack, but that we would be girded in the righteousness of Christ, the fact that we are saved by faith alone, that whatever we've done is washed clean. We are not standing guilty before you, but we have Christ's righteousness put upon us as an armor, and we embrace that. I pray, Lord God, that you would fit our feet with peace. That wherever we go, Lord God, we'd be agents of your peace. In the midst of conflict, in the midst of relationships that are broken, would we be agents of reconciliation, whether it's between nations, peoples, friends, family. Would you bring peace wherever we go? May we be a church of reconciliation and peace, Lord God. We ask that we would take up the shield of faith. Would you protect us, Lord God? Would our faith remain strong with all the questions that surround us? Would we remain faithful to you, remembering you, holding firm to the truth that we first came to you with, Lord God? Would we be protected by that faith? And when any attacks come, would we hold true, having faith that you called us as a church together and that you will use us and you will bless us? Would we put on the helmet of salvation, remembering that you are the salve, the healer, the protector. When any lies come into our minds, when any attacks come, Lord, would that helmet protect us from any misguidance, remembering who we are, saved, loved children of God. And Lord God, the sword of the Spirit, your word, would we be people of the word? Would we delve into it? Even the hard passages, the places where it's difficult, would it, would it Lord God, would we wrestle with it? We seek to understand it. Would your spirit reveal it to us so that, that we walk forward as a church, Lord God. We'd be a church that's known for its love of the word. And finally, I pray that we pray with all kinds of prayers. God, wherever there's chinks in our armor as individuals, as, as a collective church, could you fill them in? Step into the gap. 
Let us always remember this can't be done in our own power. It's your power. As we prepare for Advent, Lord God, I I ask that you would allow us to remember that it's all about the gift that you give to us. Love, hope, peace, and joy. These are things that you're placing into our hearts, Lord God. Would we receive them? Would we do what it takes to prepare? Would we read our devotions? Would we read through the scriptures? Would we take that active step of preparing ourselves, putting on the armor, Lord God, as we prepare to receive the gift of the incarnation? And so we cry out to you, Lord God. We thank you that your son took bread and he broke it. He said, this is, this is my body broken for you. That in the midst of that spiritual attack, he stood strong even though he bled and, and cried blood. That he took the cup and he said, I accept this cup because it's the forgiveness of all of our sins, Lord God. And so I ask that as we come to the table today as a people, that we would come to the table as a family in celebration of, of, a, of, of the dedication of a child to you and us as a people to you, Lord God, remembering that Jesus is that which reconciles us to you. So finally, God, put on the armor of God around us, your hedge of protection. Protect this church without walls. Amen. As we take communion together, there are tables at the front, there are tables at the back with bread and juice on them, symbols of Christ's sacrifice for us.